What you spend your money on or wish you could spend more money on will direct you towards the deeper loves and longings and the things you think are going to provide you security in life. And so Jesus is ultimately after our hearts. And he talks about money a number of times because it's one of the most effective ways to get to our hearts. And that's what he's after now in us. Um, He wants all of us. And so as we think about this particular topic of money and giving, just know that God is coming for us in all areas of life and there's no area of your life that ought to be untouched by the Lordship of Jesus. Um, And he wants you to be well-rounded in your faith and he wants you to be mature and strong. And this may very well be an area of your Christian life that is still yet underdeveloped in your thinking and in your action. And if that's the case, then the Lord has growth in mind for you in this regard. Um, Last week, the first week, um, we looked at um, wanting to move from the philosophy of mine to the philosophy of his. So put that up on the screen. Manny did some fantastic slides for me tonight. (laughs) It's awesome. Um, Our tendency is to see that what we have is mine and to feel a really deep level of ownership and power over it. And yet you open the scriptures and God wants us to hear that it's actually all his. It certainly is entrusted to us. It's put into your hands for a few short years, but it's put there for his purposes. And it's worth thinking into what that is and what's been entrusted to you. But this foundational concept that, that, it's, that it's not mine, it's actually his, is very difficult for us to wrestle with. We'd far prefer to see it as ours. Um, and the second thing we did last week is if, if you've actually come to believe that this is true, one of the key pieces of evidence that you do believe that what you've got is his um, is that chances are the first thing you'll think to do is to give. So there's this one you know, principle in the Old Testament that we get um, which kind of comes out of the language of first fruits and giving your firstborn animal and tithing and all that. Here's the principle, first give. Um, I think it's a key way to show that you believe that what you've got is his, that the first thing you think to do is turn around and give some of it back to the one who's entrusted it to you. And it's this also this helpful way of coaching your heart towards believing over and over again that it really is his. Now, so that principle kind of emerges in the Old Testament and we looked at some Old Testament passages last week. This week we're going to just dig into chapter 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians and we're going to see really kind of what emerges for us really as believers this side of Jesus Um, And what are the principles we should be giving ourselves to? And so we're going to look at 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And here you've got the Apostle Paul writing a letter to the church in Corinth um, who have got some areas where they need to grow up still. And this appears to be one of them. Um, He's going to flesh out for them what he's calling them to do in regards to generous giving. And and I want to zoom in straight away, right in on one particular verse, verse 7 of chapter 8. And if you've got your Bible open in front of you, have a look at verse 7. This kind of summarises the call or the challenge that the Apostle Paul has got for the Christians in the church in Corinth. Have a look at it in verse 7. But since you excel in everything... 
in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, in love, um, that we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. So Paul's looking at this church that are strong in a whole bunch of regards. And they actually certainly think that they're pretty strong. They think that they're pretty spiritual. In fact, there's some big words Paul's got for them in 2 Corinthians. Um, they actually are pretty showy in their Christianity. They're pretty showy in their forms of spirituality. And some of those, Paul says, look, it's, it's great. You really are strong in some areas. You excel in some of the graces of God. But here's one for you that you're yet to excel in. And this is the challenge he's got for them. He wants to call them to excel in the grace of giving. Grace meaning, you know, the gift of giving, the ability to give. This is what they're yet to excel in. And often that can be the case for the Christian. A Christian can be a person who grows up in lots of different areas of the Christian life, but sometimes the final part of your life to be converted to Christ is your wallet. Um, and is that the case for you? Is it the case that over the years you've learned to walk and follow Christ in many ways and yet this area of excelling in the grace or the ability of generous giving is yet to be developed in your life? Then you take note of what Paul is saying here. Um, it's pretty radical stuff. It's, it's, pretty, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty full on what Paul's going to say to them. It's wild and crazy. We're going to see three principles that he calls them to and you'll notice in the new testament you do not get a command to tithe you do not we do not live under the law of 10 percent um, that's that's an old testament um, command a lot of a lot of christians do use that 10 percent figure as a a good starting place um, but what we get in the new testament is something way more hardcore than 10 percent by the way jesus blows up the tithe and doesn't just let you off the hook to do what you want with what's yours um, he, he blows up the tithes and replaces it with um, the kind of living that would reflect the way he's lived towards us which is radical generosity and so we're going to get three principles today from these two chapters in regards to giving. And here they are. I'll put them up on the board. On the board. Is that a board? No, oh, that was from earlier. Manny, first give. Keep going. There you go. There's the three. Thanks, mate. Don't laugh. It's all right. Um, here's the three principles. Sacrificial. That's hard. You ready for that one? Joyful. That's hard. Are you ready for that one? And finally, fearless. Anyway, there are, I think, three of the principles that emerge in these chapters. Tell me if you think I'm not, like, tell me if you think there's more or we're not on the mark here. I'm going to save time for questions at the end of this sermon, so please feel free to fire up and ask a question. There's time to do that here. We sit together under the Word. So let's think about um, this concept of sacrificial, joyful and fearless. Um, it's, it's pretty radical. How on earth do you live that way in regards to your money? There's one, key print, there's one key understanding that underlies all of it that's going to enable you to live this way. And I'm going to take you there first. Like excelling in generous giving emerges from the foundation of understanding God's radical, generous gift to you in Jesus. That's where it all begins. And I tell you what, if you've not yet taken hold of God's generous gift to you in Jesus, or you've not yet come to really appreciate the gift of Christ to us, then the concept of radical generous giving will always chafe for you. 
It'll never feel right. You'll always feel like you're being manipulated. It'll always feel like you're doing something begrudgingly. But when you get the radical grace of God to us in Christ, this whole life of generous giving just makes a whole lot more sense. Can you say with Paul what he says on the, in the final verse of chapter 9? Chapter 9, verse 15. Can you say this? Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Like when you think of the gift that God has given to you in his son Jesus, do you find yourself just full of thankfulness and gratitude towards God, and, but you find it indescribable? Like it's so meaningful, it's so amazing, it's done so much in you, you find it hard to find words to describe the gift that you've received in Jesus? Because this is where we're to grow into. We're to grow into appreciating the gift that's come for us in Christ in such a way we find it hard to put words on it. Um, One of the ways that the gift of Jesus is described um, here in this section, um, have a look at chapter 8, verse 9. I love this description of the gift of Jesus. So look at verse 9. Paul says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ... That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. There's a figurative way of describing how the gift comes to us. The one who was rich became poor, so that the ones who were poor became rich. Now, Ian, I heard you say amen just as that Bible verse was being read. Yep. I'd love, I, love, I love when people say amen to the Bible passage, even more than the preacher having a go at trying to explain the Bible passage. But here's the deal. In what sense is the gift, the, the rich one? Who, well, it's, not, it's not in monetary wealth, really, is it? That's not what's being spoken of here. It's talking about spiritual wealth and actually wealth in a whole bunch of regards. Think, of, think about it for a minute. The Son of God has existed for all eternity um, in the glory and community with the Father in heaven, receiving all the praise from the angels. And there's the riches, the one who was in heaven, the creator of all, eternal, enthroned, honoured, sustainer of all, condescends into, you could describe, the poverty of humanity. He leaves behind being God in heaven with all the glory of being enthroned and praised by all the angels. And he comes and puts on flesh and enters into sinful humanity to represent us. The one who was praised is now mocked and abused and rejected. The one who was all-knowing becomes a child that needs to grow up and learn knowledge. The one that was honoured is now born into a poor family to a teenage mum and is homeless for most of his life. But here's the ultimate kind of riches to poverty. The one who is perfectly sinless, without spot, actually comes and becomes sin. That's what 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us, yeah? The one who is without sin became sin, meaning he bore our sin. Jesus never sinned, but he took on himself our sin, Yep. So he comes perfectly rich and takes on our poverty, which is to take on our sin, so that the ones in poverty, in the poverty of sin, might become rich, in that we become the ones who bear the righteousness of Jesus. We actually get Jesus' relationship with the Father. We actually get eternity. We actually get um, all the riches 
of, of being children of God. There you go. Poor, the, the, the rich one becomes poor, so the poor one can become rich. And I tell you what, that's a, it's just another beautiful way of trying to understand the gift that's come to us in Jesus. Can you let that just rattle around in your heart and your head and breed appreciation for the gift? Because if you can allow that to happen, then the concept of moving on to actually live in a way that reflects that kind of movement from God to us, you'll understand generous giving. It will just make sense. Now, Paul actually uses an example of another group of Christians when he's talking to the Corinthians here. He talks about these Macedonian Christians, and it's pretty remarkable the way they've lived and the generosity they've been involved in. And have a look at this description of how he describes when the Macedonians came to Christ and the first thing that they did. Look at verse 5. They exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So Paul describes something for them here. When they come to receive the gospel and accept Jesus, the first thing they do is give themselves fully to the Lord and then they kind of give themselves to the cause of the Lord and giving towards the cause of the Lord. But that's a really important thing to notice. To come to Christ begins with being able to dedicate yourself to him. And that might be something that still needs to happen for you. If you're having trouble with passion for the cause and giving, might it indicate an issue in your relationship? Are you holding back from actually letting go and dedicating yourself to God, the one who's purchased you in Christ? Or if you're kind of slowly slipping away from God at the moment, being distracted and seduced by all the other things you could possibly be doing with your life and with your money, is it because you're yet to dedicate yourself to the Lord? Give yourself first to the Lord. That's what he's after. And then to his cause. And if you're struggling to give yourself to his cause, is it because you need to fully give yourself to him? He's worthy of it. And he's done all that can be done to make a way. He's so generous. We need to give ourselves first to the Lord. Now, let's look at these three principles that emerge. Um, we're going to see sacrificial. There's the first one. Um, you can go to that next slide. There you go, sacrificial. What does the word sacrificial mean? Um, I use that word because I see that principle emerging, particularly in this Macedonian example, this group of Christians in a place in Macedonia. Um, to be sacrificial, what is sacrificial? It's to, in regards to giving. It's, it's to give, isn't it? To give like in hard times. It's to give when it hurts. It's to give until it hurts. That's what sacrificial would be. If, if your giving doesn't, you don't feel like it costs you at all, it doesn't hurt in any way and you don't miss it, you might argue that's not sacrificial. Look at the example of Macedonians, it's crazy. Verse 1, chapter 8. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God, gave, God has given the Macedonian churches. Look at this. In the midst of very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own. So what's the situation for the Macedonians? Extreme poverty, severe trial. So there was a famine going on at that time. 
where they were in a serious state of poverty. So they wouldn't have easily felt like they had much to give. And they're being persecuted for being Christians, so they're under trial. They're being crushed and pressed down. And, and in the midst of that situation, what wells up in them is this overflowing joy and rich generosity. It's phenomenal, isn't it? Often, often we'll use the excuse of not being able to be generous is because we just don't have much. And here are some folks in poverty and being crushed in persecution, overflowing, rich generosity, entirely on their own. Now, that kind of joy, where does, where does overflowing joy come from? Well, it makes no sense if, if money has become your functional saviour or your functional God, you know, where, where, where your hope is in finances and wealth, and that's where you're looking for security. But this kind of joy makes perfect sense if God is your hope. Yeah, because you're able to overflow in joy in all kinds of circumstances. And look at verse 3. It says that um, um, they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability. That's, I think that's an example of sacrificial giving. It's, it's like they gave more than they should have. Um, they, they gave more than they needed to, beyond their ability. That's pretty insane, isn't it, as an example? Um, now... There's an example of sacrificial giving, and I want you to reflect on your giving. Is your giving sacrificial? Um, do, do you give till it hurts? Um, sometimes we can have giving in a basket that you could call um, as a bit of a luxury item or a discretionary item. That, in other words, you give when, when you've got a bit in the slush fund, or you give from your splurge account, or you give when you've got a bit left over. Um, but we're being encouraged to give here just constantly all the time, even when you don't feel like you've got much. Yeah? It's the first thing you think to do. The Macedonians obviously saw giving not as a luxury thing, but as an essential thing, something that they couldn't help themselves but to do. And as they did that, it reflected their understanding of the gospel, of a God who's come and given himself so richly to them that they're just wanting to give as well. Um, you, you'll notice, um, you know, it's not, it's not give 10% of what you're getting. It's, um, I think the call is just give as much as you possibly can. We sometimes can ask ourselves the question, um, how much do I have to give? Um, I think the question is not how much do I have to give, but uh, how much can I justify keeping to spend on myself and my family? And I think the Macedonians are just an incredible example for us here they're giving in a way that's really sacrificial and they don't seem to be phased by it. So th there's, there's the first thing on sacrificial. Do you, does your giving cost you in a way that hurts? Because uh, if it doesn't hurt and you don't feel it, it's probably not sacrificial. No, this is challenging to hear. Now you might say, oh no, I feel it. I, I think of all other things that I could do with it. And of course we can think of things to do, other things to do with our money. Um, but does it really pinch? Does it pinch you to the point where you actually really need to trust God with it? Um, and you give beyond what you think you should be giving. That's, there's, there's the example from the Macedonians, anyway, to nudge us along towards sacrificial giving. There's sacrificial. The second principle that I want to point out here is, um, is joyful, which sounds counterintuitive to sacrificial, doesn't it? Because if you're giving in a way that's sacrificial, then it's, it's hurting on some level. 
It's painful on some level. But what you see here is not simply pain. You see joy, overflowing joy. Um, now, to kind of mention that, um, I do want to acknowledge that giving generously towards gospel ministry um, that's sacrificial um, doesn't always feel very joyful. And it's possible to give, but not be joyful about what you're giving. And I think Paul kind of points that out a few times in these passages. Have a look at verse 5 in chapter 9. Um, he says, So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Um, then it will be ready as a generous gift, um, um, not as one begrudgingly given, or sorry, grudgingly given. So th there's a little kind of um, head tap of the tip of the hat to um, the concept that giving can be begrudging, you know, and Paul doesn't want them to give that way. He wants them to give, but he wants to give them extra time to prepare and put aside so they can give regularly and it's not sprung upon them and they feel pressured and end up giving, but in their hearts are feeling the grudge of having to give. It's possible to give and be begrudging about it. I mean, he mentions that as well back in, or further on in verse 7. He says, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So here's the deal. I think um, as Christians, you, you want to go home and you want to spend time thinking. You, you should decide in your own heart what you're going to give. And that should be a decision between you and God and something that you stick to between you and God. It shouldn't be something that you feel pressured to in the moment. You shouldn't be having your arm twisted to um, give out of compulsion because God loves a cheerful giver. So in regards to giving, you'll notice that there's not going to be a bag that gets passed around. We do give an opportunity to give each week, but there's not a big push off the back of this. I, I tell you the push, receive this push from Scripture um, go home and think about it and pray about it and decide in your heart with God how you're going to give and stick to that and give it regularly and give it generously and give it joyfully because God loves a cheerful giver. Uh, he loves a grudging giver as well, but I tell you what he, he, what he loves is what he desires for us, which is to give and it be part of our worship that we enjoy doing. And so we do it cheerfully. Yeah? Voluntarily. Look at chapter 8, um, verses 3 again. We read that just a minute ago. Look at it again. I testified that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. So they gave entirely on their own. Um, and actually, more than that, they chased Paul down and pleaded with him for the privilege of giving. This is quite remarkable. I wonder whether Paul looked at the Macedonians in their poverty and thought, oh, I won't hit them up. Like, there's need for gospel ministry in the church, but I won't hit up the Macedonians. I know they're going through a hard time, but it appears as though maybe Paul was a little hesitant, but they chased him down and they pleaded with him urgently for the privilege of giving. Now that says something about a person, doesn't it? When they're pleading for the privilege of giving. It says there's something going on in the heart and in the head. Something's been shaped up so that their priorities is such that, let me guess, the priority is such that, that they see the, the, the cause of the gospel 
The cause of more people coming to know Jesus, they see that as so primary that they want to maximise their life and energies and skills and finances towards that ultimate goal in such a way that they don't want to miss out on any of the action. They don't want to miss out on any of the opportunities to get on board. And so they're pleading with Paul, can you please let us give? That's quite phenomenal, isn't it? It's, it's encouraging. They want, they want in on the ministry. They want in on the partnership. Please let us partner with you. We don't want to miss out. Now, I, I, I want to say I've, I've ex- experienced some of that kind of encouragement in, in these first few years of Anchor. Some of you have walked through the doors and, and you've slapped your hands together and said something to the effect of, how do we give and where can I serve? Um, you're a great gift to a new church when you walk through the door like that. Um, Anyone who walks through the door, you're a gift. Everyone's a gift, right? But that is an incredible gift. To to walk in with that mentality, I cannot see obviously how I can give or serve. Can you sort that out? Because I want to give here. That's what I'm here for. Um, Now, not everyone's in that position when you walk into church. Often people are in in need and need to be helped and, and need to be served, and that's awesome. And if you're here in that regard, we want to love you, we want to serve you, we want to know what your needs are. Um, but those of you who've come in with that framework, I'm assuming there's been years and years of walking with Jesus and having that shaped prior to you walking through the doors of Anchor, that you'd walk through with that kind of a mindset. And I want to encourage all of you, no matter where the Lord leads you in the future, whatever church you walk through, if you can be aiming to grow in the kind of way where the first thing you think to do when you walk into a church is you hunt down someone who's going to tell you how you can give and how you can serve. That's a great gift. When we um, first, um, uh, before we you know, started Anchor Church, um, a few of us w- were trying to raise some money to get this thing started. You need startup funds when you're starting a church. And so, um, you know, I asked friends and I asked family and I asked Christian mates and um, I asked churches and, and a number of them just absolutely jumped at the opportunity to kind of get in on this. But one of my mates I didn't ask because I was aware he was going through some financial struggles and I thought I won't hit him up. I made the assumption that it wouldn't, he, he, like, I don't know, it just might put pressure on him. But he, he did the Macedonian thing to me. He tracked me down because he heard what was going on and he heard we needed, you know, we were after finances to get moving. And he came and he, and he said, Tim, how come you haven't asked me yet? And I, I kind of said, oh, well, I just didn't think you are in a situation. I didn't want to. And he's like, what, what, what did he say? I wrote down what he said to me because I always wanted to remember it. How can you deny me, man? That's what he said to me. How can you deny me? And then he said something like, yeah, that was it. He, used, he said, I want in on the ground floor investment in this. You know, you, you people talk about getting in on the... He's like, I want in early. I, I want to I be part of this. I'll figure out a way. Don't, don't keep this from me. It was just a massive encouragement. I, I don't know why I... Um, oh, I do know why I didn't hit him up. Um, but I, I, I think to see what's going on in someone's heart um, to be in the kind of way they don't want to miss out and they really want to give themselves as much as they can. So it was, it was hugely encouraging. Hugely encouraging. Wouldn't it be good if over the years we all grew in our faith and our love for Jesus and our appreciation of the gift that's come to us, that we all grew so that we would re- reflect the gospel and express it in ways like that? 
you know, that we would look for opportunities to give and not want to miss out on being able to partner in the gospel work here and beyond and go hunting for opportunities and not stop hunting when we feel like we're struggling, but just keep hunting and keep trusting God and growing in that way. Because wouldn't that be good if that's what God had in mind for us? Um, it appears as though this is a really key part of the Christian life. Please, Lord, by your spirit, help us grow in this way. Um, because it looks like it's a joyful thing to do with your Christian life. It doesn't need to be grudging. It can actually just be enjoyable. Here's the final thing. Fearless. Now, I kind of tagged that word fearless because I, I wondered whether um, one of our common fears... Um, when we come to giving, is that, um, tell me if you've ever done this in your head or your heart, um, there's, there's a need, there's always a need in, in churches that are trying to reach more people with the gospel. So you'll hear about the need, you hear, you'll hear me rabbiting on over the years for sure, if God's going to keep using us. And you hear the need and you think, um, well, what if I did give generously, but then I didn't have enough for me? I mean, have you ever done that? I mean, it's probably a normal thing to do. You're responsible to look after yourself and your family if you've got one. And that can be our fear. What if I give, like the Macedonians, beyond what I'm able? What if I do that and then I can't look after myself? God wants to address you in that fear. He wants to come for us right in the middle of that one. He's got some beautiful things to say to us. And I think from verse 6 through to verse 11... In chapter 9, we want to tune in and want to hear what he's got to say to us. Um, you know, Paul here kind of chimes into a bit of Psalm 112 and a little bit of Proverbs 11 and 12, and he begins by using like a farming illustration about reaping and sowing. Have a look at verse 6 um, in chapter 9. Paul says this, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. That's a farming illustration. It's not a hard one to understand. If you just flick a couple of seeds at the ground, you're just going to get a small harvest. If you flick lots more and you sow very generously, chances are you're going to get more of a generous harvest. It's just a, like a law of nature. It's just an observation about the way life works. What you do now with your life will impact what you are and what you're doing in the future. And so you know, that's what Proverbs often does. It tags into just a real observation about life. But Paul wants to use that principle and apply it to giving and finances. And it can get a little bit slippery in this, so hang in there with me. Um, he wants to apply it to finances, to basically say what you do with your finances now and how you live in regards to money now will affect what you do with your finances in the future and how you live in regards and, and, and who you become, really, in the future. Yeah? If, if, if you've got a picture of yourself that's a growing up version of who you are now, and I do, I tell you, I got lots of, there's lots of pieces to the picture of who Tim needs to grow to become. What I need to understand is that the way I'm living now and the decisions I'm making now are going to have a huge impact on who I become. So, so now's the day to dig in and change and make decisions that are going to shape who you become. And what you, what you sow, you will reap. Um, look at verse 8. And I say verse 8 because we read verse 7 just a minute ago. 
But look at this. God, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So just catch that. Apply that to this fear of maybe if I give, I won't have enough left. What we're being told here is that God is able to make all grace abound to you. The grace of life, the grace of Jesus, and the grace of any other gift. He's able to make all that abound. Do you believe that he's able to do that? So that in all things, in all times, you will have all that you need and you'll be able to abound in every good work. That's a pretty huge promise. So that in all things, at all times, even in times of poverty and in times of wealth, at all situations, all seasons, at every single God is going to give you all that you need to what? To abound in every good work, which means to go on living Christianly and to go on giving generously. God is able to do that in you and enable you to keep going. Um, verse 9, he then quotes Psalm 112, which has really um, got a, a similar vein to it. Um, it speaks about the generous gifts that are given to the needy. Um, and what's it gonna, what's it, what does it bring? It brings um, their, heart, their righteousness in Jewish forever. So the way in which you give to need generally now will actually impact a lasting righteousness in you so that in the future you can go on doing more of the same. Yeah? Verse 10. Now he who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. That's pretty huge. God, who is your father and is the supplier of everything you've ever received, is able to go on supplying you with everything you need for the future. And he's actually able to make you rich in every way. Yeah? So that you can be generous on every occasion. That's what he's able to do with you. So can you trust in God that he is the provider and that everything is his anyway? And can you give generously and fearlessly, trusting that he will look after you? He's completely able to, and there's actually promises in here that he will. You'll always have enough to go on being generous in your giving. He will equip you to do that. He will provide for you to go on in this way and the result will be, look at verse 11, um, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So the end result is going to be more thanksgiving to God. Now, when you read verses like this, if you ever, these are interesting verses in the New Testament. They're probably the, the closest to Old Testament kind of material prosperity verses that you'll find in the New Testament. So you've got to be careful how we go here. Um, and I think, I think the one thing to be careful of here is about your motive in giving. Because it's possible to read some scriptures and find yourself in a motive or hear a promise from God which is not really made to you that kind of goes a little bit like this. Um, if I give money, then God will make me wealthy so I can give more money, but really I'm just after more money. Yeah? And this is, it, it's, you've got to be careful, this is not a get-rich-quick scheme. 
um, Christian version, sow money now and I'll get more money later. That's, that's like a twisted prosperity kind of teaching. I want you to notice the emphasis that's in these verses and the emphasis is on the wealth of righteousness. Yep, that's what you've got to catch. See it in verse 10 there? He who supplies the seed and for the sower and bread for the food will also supply and increase your store of seed, which I do think is actually talking about material wealth. So there is something of a promise there. Figure out what to do with that one. But then look, and will enlarge your harvest of righteousness. This is the emphasis of the promise. The harvest of righteousness, which is, a, which is God growing your righteous character which can be expressed ongoingly in generous giving. It's one of the key ways the righteous character of God is expressed in a person. You actually see that in verse 9 as well when he quotes Psalm 112. Um, the verse is about enduring righteousness. It, it's righteousness that's on view as the emphasis. It's righteousness that God promises. It's basically a promise that God's able to grow you to be more like him to bring out of you his righteous character by his spirit. And so did you ever consider that, that giving generously now is actually going to shape who you become in God in the future? It's going to shape your character. And is that what you want for yourself? Because it certainly is what God wants for you. And this is one of the key ways that you sow now for that outcome. What is being promised here for the generous giver is not more wealth for you because it's actually all his. Yeah. Um, it, it's that um, all, God is going to provide all that you need for every good work which will flow on to increasing righteousness expressed in generous giving which is ultimately brings about more thanks to God. So there you go, there's, there's, the, um, there's the little survey of chapter 8 and 9. I hope you found that helpful. I've got one more thing to say, but before I say that, I might just pause and stop talking for a second, have a little sip of tea, and see if you've got a question or two or comment, and you can fire away, and I won't pretend to know the answer if I don't. On a real baseline level, give your money away. Just get rid of it. I, look, I, I just, like, we all think we don't have much, but there's the, there's the first thing, just give it away. All right? Now, how do you decide who to give it to? Well, that's a conscience issue for yourself. As I read the scriptures, I do see a, a, a priority in scriptures, right? And, and, and I think it's, it's actually a, probably a good practice to give to a variety of causes, but the priority you see in Scripture is the cause of the gospel, which is the cause of anything that's, anything that's going to help more people come to Jesus. Yep. So that give, give to everything, give to need everywhere. There's need everywhere, but there's one ultimate need that God says is the, is the biggest need, and that is the spiritual need of the world we're living in. So give, let that, let that, I would say let that influence how you direct your funding. And then there's one other thing I think would influence, and that is proximity. Meaning, this is our mission field. This is where God has planted us. And so I do think 
that giving to gospel ministry, there should be a priority because of your proximity. And so giving to this church, because this church is on mission in this area, is not just giving to yourself and your own comfort. This church did not get planted so we would make friends and feel good about ourselves. This church got planted so that we would meet, reach more people for Jesus. Now, of course, when we reach people for Jesus, we want to bring them into a loving community. So we do need to love each other and we do need to get better at caring for each other. But ultimately, this church is on mission to Coffs. So giving to this church is giving to mission in Coffs. Yeah? This is not for your own comfort. There's no comfort on those seats anyway, all right? <laughs> now, that gets trickier down the track if we decide to try and build a building and we're deciding what kind of seats we should buy. And then you kind of think, you start feeling like, oh, I am giving towards the comfort of my own bum. But I'm drifting now. But, but when, we cross, when we cross that bridge, you'll be thinking, yeah, and I want to give for the comfort of someone else who doesn't know Jesus to be able to come and hear about Jesus without it echoing back at them and them not being able to concentrate and all that kind of stuff. So, so there you go. Just give your money away. I think prioritise the gospel as a Christian. And I think proximity ought to direct the, the proportion of how you give. You know, they're the principles we use. Um, let, let me finish by just giving you that one thing. Excel in the grace of giving. Just get epic at that. Grow in that. Let me pray. Father God, thank you for this time and thank you for your, the challenge of your word to us. But Lord, when we see the way you've lived towards us, it makes so much sense. Lord, would you, by your Spirit, help us understand the gift of Jesus in a deeper and deeper way and come to appreciate it in such a way that generously giving ourselves, all of ourselves, constantly just makes complete sense. Lord, we need the help of your Spirit for that to work, so please keep doing what you're doing. Um, and we trust that you would use us to put you on display and that your glory would be known as more people come to trust in you. And the people said... Amen. All righty. Let's sing.